Hi, you're listening to CS Book Club, and today we're talking to Tom Stewart, author of Understanding Computation. Uh, with me is Amy Unger. Hey, everyone. Ashton Harris. Hey, how's it going? And Brian Cobb. Hello. And of course, Tom Stewart. Hello from London. Hello. Tom, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thanks very much for asking me. So what's your day job, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just wondering that. <laughs> Oh God! What is my day job? Um, so I mostly I'm I'm mostly a, a software developer. Um, I try to um, I try to I try to mix it up. Um, I'm freelance, so I don't I don't really. Essentially, I'm an unemployed man. Like that's that's what we're dancing around. But um, <laughs> <laughs> just come right up. Yeah, let's just cards on the table. Um, but in between the extended periods of unemployment, I do um, a variety of, of things for companies in London. So a lot of it is uh, software development uh, using Ruby mostly, um, but I also do a bunch of consulting work and training and mentoring and all of that kind of stuff. So a, a mix of things, but all orbiting around the basic idea of writing computer programs for money. Nice. So is Ruby yeah. like a favorite language? Um. It's the language I use the most. It is <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds evasive, but um, no, I, I I really like Ruby. Um, most of the programs I've written in the last decade have been in Ruby, and it's something that I naturally reach for. I mean, obviously, the book that you have all been very patiently reading, I chose Ruby um, in large part because I think it's good. Uh, I think it's a good language for explaining things and teaching things and stuff like that. Um, in th there have been various parts of my life where I've used other languages more uh but i think it's yeah it's a long-winded way of saying yeah i do like ruby i think it's um it probably is my favorite language for day to day if you, if someone stopped me in the street and asked me to you know write a piece of code to you know do one of those uh, google interview problems where you have to you know invert a, a binary tree or something i would probably do it in ruby so it's it's my go-to language yeah i was really excited to find the book and find that it was uh, written in Ruby or examples in Ruby because it helped me. Although nothing is really in the examples that is Ruby specific, you could do the same things in Python or other languages. There's very few uh, Ruby specific things you use, but just my familiarity with it made it really easy for me to to kind of dive in and understand the problem instead of concentrating on the language. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, I think it that's one of the reasons why I thought Ruby was good was because although it as a language it does have lots of strange corners. Um, and edge cases and stuff. I think that the the core of the language is actually pretty easy to understand. Um, and I was surprised when I wrote and I sort of added the the first chapter of the book that is like here is the minimum amount of Ruby that you need to know. There's actually not a great deal of stuff in it. Um, so I sort of hoped that the basic idea of having objects that have methods and objects sending messages to each other and having classes from which you can instantiate objects was sort of something that even someone who had never seen the language before would probably be able to map onto ideas that they recognize from JavaScript or Python or even Java or whatever it is. I mean, when I when the book first came out, or maybe even before it was published, actually, when I was doing a kind of a small amount of publicity for it before it was published, um, there was the fairly predictable um, chunk of people who just thought it didn't make any sense to write a book like this using Ruby. You know, lots of people um, on the internet made uh, comments along the lines of like, this would have been so much easier to explain in 
you know, insert language here. The most popular language to insert in that sentence is Haskell. A lot of people thought it would have been much easier to explain these ideas in Haskell. And I agree, I would have had to have write a lot, you know, I've had to write a lot less code if I'd explained all of this stuff in Haskell. But I think that the, um, the set of people who both knew Haskell and did not already understand the ideas in the book would have been so small that it wouldn't have been worthwhile. You know, somebody yeah. who knows a little bit of Haskell and and likes it, I find the the tooling and actually like running code to be much more difficult than something like Ruby or Python. Yeah, I mean, I think using a using a programming language to explain any ideas about programming languages is already a little bit circular. It's a little bit difficult to to say, I'm going to explain ideas from computation to you, and I'm going to use computation to do it is already. Um, is already slightly begging the question about like what you're expecting people to understand. So I was nervous about picking up something like, so say something like Haskell, where firstly the the uh, cognitive load of understanding the ideas in the programming language is already quite large, and then secondly the the tooling required to, you know, to actually make a program run uh, is also quite hefty. So I quite liked I that I was very very tempted to do the book in JavaScript because it felt like JavaScript is possibly the most well known language or the most widely used language i don't know if it's as widely used as excel macros but it is it is widely used and there was a temptation to use it but even then i felt well how do i you know how do i get people up and running with this am i going to say that they should install node or am i going to say that they should do all of this in a browser and then we have to figure out how that works and so in the end it seemed like ruby was just in this sweet spot of like you can download it and install it and then you've got irb and then you can go nuts with it right so it, it was really between ruby and python and i'm just a ruby programmer so i went with ruby but i hope that the number of people it's actually been very small the number of people who've got in touch with me to say this thing does this thing doesn't work and usually when people have got in touch with me to say that it's because you know because of one of the problems you would expect it's you know because <laughs> the, they've got the wrong version of ruby or because you know, they're generally on Windows or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, as a person who uh, normally does JavaScript for a living, um, obviously that route would have been a little ideal, but I will say that not being in Ruby as much and just going through your your intro, these are the basics that you need to understand and following through it. I actually learned a lot of Ruby as well as a lot of, you know, the computational ideas. And I don't think it was hard to grasp being in a language that I wasn't normally comfortable with. Oh, that's great. So, Tom, uh, one of the things we've been curious to hear about is your background with this material. Uh, one of the uh, premises, I guess, with, with this group um, and kind of our interest in looking at CS books uh, is that nobody on the podcast currently has a CS degree. Uh, and so I think, you know, we all kind of gravitate to these uh, issues as something that's kind of uh, interesting to us and helps inform our uh programming skills and we were kind of curious about uh what your background is okay well um i suppose technically i also don't have a computer science degree <laughs> um i my undergraduate degree is in mathematics i did a i did a mathematics degree that was um it was it had a lot of discrete mathematics in it so i did a lot of uh a lot of stuff that is useful for computer science i did a lot of um things like graph theory and set theory and number theory and group theory and all those kinds of things. So I, I have a, a good sort of general mathematics education, um, but not very much 
uh, in the way of computer science. Um, I mean, I suppose the, the, the simpler answer is that I, my dad, who is now retired, uh, when I was a kid, was a computer teacher. And so from the, so we're going back to the 80s now, but in the 80s, when I was really, really young, um, we always had uh, home computers around the house. So from, for as long as I can remember, I've always been uh, playing with computers and writing computer programs. And it's just always been something that I have done. So in terms of like my background as a computer programmer, it's something that I can't even remember a time before, you know, writing computer programs and, and, and playing around with them. So it's been, it's not something that I got into, um, you know, because I decided it was something that would be good to do. It's just something that sort of got into me at a very young age and I've just been writing programs ever since. Um, and then, so I, I did, I did my undergraduate degree in, in basically mathematics. And then I, went to the University of Cambridge for three years to be a PhD student. So I spent three years studying at the University of Cambridge Computer Laboratory, um, trying and as yet unsuccessfully uh, to do a PhD in um, theoretical computer science. And that was um, that was all about, I was in a research group called the Cambridge Programming Research Group, which did a lot of work to do with uh, compilers and interpreters and type systems and, you know, optimizations and static analysis and things like that. So that was really the point when I took all of the mathematics, all, all the mathematical stuff that I'd learned in my undergraduate degree and then sort of applied it in the context of computer programming. So those three years I spent at Cambridge were, um, I spent more time, you know, talking to people and drawing uh, lambdas on whiteboards than I did actually writing programs but i found that uh incredibly incredibly helpful i mean it was also very difficult that's i think that sort of um this isn't quite answering your question but it, um that was one of the things that really indirectly indirectly led to me writing the book that you have just read because i learned a lot of stuff that i thought was really fascinating and i found it very difficult to learn a lot of it so particularly some of the some of the more difficult stuff in computation theory and in type systems I found and, and the programming language semantics, I found it was like a real uphill struggle to learn that stuff, but I was really, really interested. So I really persisted and I was very fortunate to have both the mathematical background that I got from my undergraduate degree and also this kind of lifelong interest in computer programs. So I was um, extremely privileged to be able to have both of those things to draw on to to propel me through what is often quite an obscure subject. If you just go and buy a textbook on uh, formal semantics of programming languages or on type theory or on uh, optimizing compilers or whatever, I found all of that literature fairly hard going. Um, but I sort of persevered with it. And then it was it frustrated me because almost invariably everything that I read um, I found it really, really hard to get through. And then when I got to the end and I finally understood what all of the mathematical formulas and proofs and things were trying to tell me, I thought, well, that's real. That's firstly, that's really cool. And secondly, I feel like someone could have explained that to me in a few sentences. But if, only they, <laughs> if only they'd known what to say, if, if only it hadn't been presented in such an obtuse and formal and, uh, you know, in a way that didn't, uh, it, 
I don't quite know what the words are, but you know, a lot of these things are presented as just a series of mathematical statements that you're supposed to fill in the gaps, right? You're supposed to already have enough sophistication to be able to understand like what this mathematical formula is supposed to make you think. But I didn't know what it was supposed to make me think. And it took me a long time to kind of reverse engineer all of that stuff and figure out like what all of this stuff was actually trying to say. And so it was really that more than anything else, it was that experience of, of, desperately wanting to understand all of these ideas and finding them deeply interesting and, and being very curious about them, but also finding that there wasn't really, I, all I wanted was to like go to the pub with someone who understood me and what I was like, who could sit me down and just explain these ideas to me. And I didn't, I couldn't find that person. I couldn't find a book that did that. And so that was really, uh, that was the intention behind understanding computation was to try and be, that kind of thing to sort of say, well, if I was, if someone, if someone grabbed me in a pub and said, can you just, you know, I've got half an hour. Can you just like talk to me a little bit about the undecidability of the halting problem or whatever? <laughs> I'd sort of, you know, I sort of thought, well, you know, if eh, I could probably say a few things and I could probably try and draw on some of your intuition as a programmer, you know, not instead of, instead of assuming that you have all of this mathematical and computer scientific background, I mean, almost everyone I know in London who is at least a Ruby developer is um, either self-taught or largely self-taught. Like the number of people I know who actually have computer science degrees is relatively low. Most of the people I know have, you know, they've picked up agile web development with Rails at some point in the last decade, and they've taught themselves how to make web applications. Um, and they so they have a lot of experience with computer programs and using computers and they know how computers work, but they don't, if you, if you show them a, a formula or an equation or, you know, some, um, uh, denotational semantics written down on a piece of paper, they just wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, so I, I, I was sort of, I was frustrated when I was trying to learn this stuff by how it felt like what I, you know, I thought like I had a, I felt like I had a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge to draw on. And it was frustrating to me that none of that experience was being drawn upon by the explanations that I was reading. And so that was what I was trying to do with this book was to try and say, look, I think that these ideas are actually fairly accessible. If you've already scaled the, the peak of being able to write a computer program, it's easy to forget like how, how much um, you need to understand to really be an effective computer programmer. Um, and I think it's a shame that we don't, there's not more stuff that's drawing on that huge pool of tacit knowledge that we have as developers and, and trying to sort of leverage that to try and push us out of our comfort zone a little bit. Like it's, it's not very common to read things that say, well, you know, let's assume that you know everything that a, a web developer knows and let's try and teach you about something outside of that comfort zone. Um, but that's what I want. And so I decided I would try and do that with the very, very narrow field of stuff that I had learned about and that I was interested in, um, in an attempt to try and, well, largely to try and like scale that whole process, right? If anyone now, if, if, if anyone in a pub says to me, can you explain the undecidability of the halting problem? I just give them a little, a little piece of paper with the URL of my book on it um, <laughs> <laughs> with a discount code and let them, uh, let them get on with it. Yeah. I, I think the, the code examples and going through those exercises really, uh, definitely made it a lot more accessible in ways that the mathematical definition or, the, you know, the, the uh, formal definition of these concepts, uh, you need to stare at that for 
you know, a few days and, and uh, maybe ask some questions that are completely ridiculous before you actually understand it versus programming it, uh, you, you start to get a better sense of what's actually happening. I think so. And it's, it's a little bit of a cheat um, because one of, the, one of the things I tried to do was um, try and keep the explaining to a minimum, which sounds uh, like the wrong thing to do. But essentially, I was, I was conscious of the fact that it's actually very difficult to understand something by reading a detailed explanation of it. And what I, what I tried to do with the book was, was explain explain the stuff that had to be explained like i had to provide context and i had to say here's what we're doing here's here's what a deterministic finite automaton is um but then i think the more subtle stuff around which there was a temptation to explain there's a temptation to explain um let's talk more about how how the state evolves over time and what kinds of if you were to you know, if you track the state of this thing over time, you can see it can like get into loops and, you know, all of the other, all of the other things that you find when you examine these things. I decided to try and back away from that a bit and just kind of let the code do some of the talking with that. Because I imagine that some people would, some people who have, who know more about this stuff, uh, might just read the basic explanation I'd written and say, oh, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'll move on to the next bit. But then the intention was that anyone who read the, read the minimum explanation and they were left thinking, huh, I don't, you know, I kind of get what he's getting at there, but I don't quite see how that idea leads to this idea, or I don't quite have a good mental model of how that thing works. I sort of hoped that by having the code there, it was in some small way, it was a kind of an interactive thing that you could explore and play with. And if you were not quite clear on, well, how, you know, what happens when I feed characters into this state machine, you know, what, how do I get it to move from state one to state two to state three? And what does that mean? And how does it behave on different inputs and stuff? Then, well, if you're curious enough, then you can just type it in or download it from GitHub and sit there and play with it for five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour, or as long as it takes for you to develop that intuition about how a system behaves, which I think is very difficult to communicate through explanation, but is, is, is much easier to absorb in that sort of interactive, you know, learning by doing kind of way. Um, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't very explicit in the book about the hope that people would do that. It was very interesting to listen to all of you um, making decisions about whether you were going to actually try this stuff out or not. I feel like when you began the book, you started out being quite diligent with that and you felt like you needed to, you know, type in every line of Ruby and try it out <laughs> and get that understanding. And then as it kind of, I think naturally as the book... To, uh, it, into part two when it becomes a bit less about let's build things and try them out and becomes a bit more about let's think about the consequences of what we've learned. It felt like you uh, entirely correctly, I think, you kind of backed away uh, from that. But I hope that, you know, that, that having at least the choice of I'm going to spend 10 minutes playing with this thing like helps in that situation where you would otherwise be stuck because that's a frustrating thing when you're reading a textbook and you get to a bit and you just don't get it then what can you do like unless you can find someone who is prepared to talk to you about it you're kind of stuck whereas if i've given you some lines of code that embody the idea i'm trying to explain then 
you can you at least have the option of doing a bit of science and playing with it yourself and seeing if you can figure out the answer to your own question and then you're, you're much more likely to learn from answering the question yourself than you are from me writing three pages of dense text giving you the answer to a question that you hadn't even fully conceptualized yet you know yeah i found the the first code examples that i actually wrote everything through um i kind of handicapped myself in the sense that i as I went on and on, I didn't have tests for anything that was already written. And I kept getting in the situation where I would break something by like, oh, I can just optimize this, or this is like more the style that I would write it. Uh, and then I tried to go backwards and like directly like add tests to everything. And then I kind of got stuck there. So when it came time to the next chapter, I was like, well, I'll just read it. And if I don't understand it, then I'll, then I'll do the code like you were saying. <laughs> um, but I, I, if I had infinite time, I would probably go back and try to like do all the examples again and actually write tests for it, and that would that would help me understand it more. But I don't think I I was really lacking too much by not doing the examples later on. No, I think you're right. I mean, I don't know, um, I don't know how testable a lot of the code is. Like this, this was another challenge I had was um, most of the stuff that's in that book. I most of the code that's in the book I wrote many different times in many different ways and i tried lots of different styles and i i spent a lot of time probably too much time agonizing over how much of myself to put into it because i like everyone you know i have opinions about what good software engineering looks like right. uh, and a lot of the time i found that i had to really rein myself in because the times where i had um built an implementation of this thing that was actually that looked like production code that I would really write I found that the that those kind of concerns those concerns to do with maintainability and extensibility and flexibility um had obscured the the thing I was trying to communicate like sometimes it is fine to write if you're trying to explain an idea sometimes the best way to explain it is a method that is 10 lines long you know, which I would ordinarily not write in production. But actually, if I broke that out into a bunch of separate methods or a bunch of separate objects, then it, it really just makes it a lot more difficult to understand what's happening. So there was this constant tension between, and I found this very interesting, this tension between like code as a medium of explanation and, and trying to make, trying to use it to clarify an underlying idea to a reader versus trying to use it to, uh, to, to construct uh, something that is likely to be flexible or adaptable or changeable in the future. So like, I felt like I was walking that line all of the time. And as a result of that, I think I've, I made some choices in the way that code was written that it, it might be that if you went back and tried to write tests for it, you might, <laughs> you might find it's not quite as testable as maybe it could be. And I'm very conscious of that, but I'm also conscious of the fact that I, that was, that was an active decision on my part. It wasn't just, Partly, I mean, everything I do is essentially a result of laziness, but that particular thing was not caused directly by laziness. It was caused by a desire to um, suppress one part of my programmer's personality uh, in order to give an advantage to a, to a different part, the part that actually wanted to explain something. Right. It sounds like that could actually be an asset at, in production code in a lot of circumstances, optimizing for being able to explain it because... It's no fun to open up code that is maybe testable in some way, but that you can't comprehend, like you were saying. I think that's the standard complaint about object-oriented design, really, that, um, that the way that you take a bad 
object-oriented program and turn it into a good object-oriented program is just by introducing a lot more objects, right? You sort of take, <laughs> you, you, you take a class that's, you know, a thousand lines long and you stare at it long enough that you realize that actually there are 10 different classes screaming to get out. And so you refactor it and you extract methods and you extract classes and stuff and you end up with this thing that is by all object-oriented design metrics is a better program because you you know your methods are shorter and they they have fewer responsibilities and the boundaries between systems are much clearer and and stuff like that um but yeah the standard complaint is that when you look at a program like that it can be extremely difficult to figure out how it actually works and what is actually going on so that there's that that balance between um local simplicity in terms of like if i want to change this one method then how much of the system do i need to understand and you know the less the better the the less uh, the less information about the rest of the system that's kind of smeared into this method you're looking at uh, the easier it is to make the change and i think that's that's one of the things that we try to optimize for in production software is to try and make the try and keep the cost of change low right, right. To try and make sure that we don't have this situation where um, it's that thing that Rich Hickey talked about in, the, in his in his talk about easiness and simplicity. About you don't want everything to be tangled together into one place. You want to be able to, if you pull on a thread, you would like to be able to pull part of your software towards you towards yourself and look at it without having to bring all of the rest of your software along with it. So that kind of that kind of uh, keeping a small radius of knowledge for when you want to pick up one part of it and understand it. That's a good thing. But I think that that does that has uh, a, a sort of a dual effect on how difficult is it to understand the system as a whole because then to figure out what the system as a whole is doing, you have to integrate over all of these millions of tiny pieces and try and figure out how they interact with each other as opposed to, well, if you could have just written this as a single 100-line method, then I could just read it from beginning to end and I would, un I would understand what was going on. So it is definitely it's, it's a tension that I'm aware of all the time. Um, and normally... I think as a software developer, it's it's usually the case that maintainability trumps uh, global comprehensibility, I think. I think that sort of local, trying to maintain that locality of knowledge is more important generally than, like ultimately it doesn't really matter whether anyone understands the system as a whole. Like people usually aren't asked to understand the whole program. They're usually just asked to understand a small part of it. But in the case of, the stuff in the book i was i did want you to understand the whole program right I, i'm right. showing you i'm showing you a short program that implements the lambda calculus and i want you to understand all of it so i'm going to organize it in such a way that i'm sorry you are going to have to read it and understand it all in one go and that means that if i asked you know if you wanted to add another uh a fourth syntactic category in the Lambda calculus, or if you wanted to add a different reduction rule, then that's possibly going to be quite difficult because the code hasn't been written in a maintainable and an extensible way. But yeah, that's that's the trade-off. So maybe in maybe it's in small systems that do one thing, it is worthwhile to turn them into that thing that's easy to understand. But then as systems get larger and larger and they grow more features and they become too large to be understood by any one person, it probably is quite important to shatter them out into those many small pieces that can be understood in isolation, even if that comes at the cost of understanding really the global meaning of the of the whole program. One I guess thing you that, could write a web server in a way where there's just one function that takes a request and does every response possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, backing up to earlier when you're, when you're talking about how you were self-taught, uh, did you 
Did you know everything that you put into the book when you started the book, or were there some things that you expanded upon while you were writing that you had to go out and kind of research a little bit? I'm um, I'm incredibly offended by that question. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I knew everything. Um, no, of course, I didn't know everything. Um, it was it was an interesting it, it was an interesting process. Um, so I I already knew about everything that was in it, but I perhaps didn't I didn't have enough certainty about some of those things to actually write them down and mm. have O'Reilly print them on paper. So it was a process of the way it worked was that I um when the when O'Reilly first like when we signed a contract for me to write this book, I had a list of chapters. And for every chapter, I'd just written a couple of sentences. So I'd said, you know, this chapter is going to be about a push down automata, or this chapter is going to be about computational universality. And then I said, you know, and then I'll, I will demonstrate some, you know, I'll exhibit some examples of computational universality and blah, blah, blah. Um, and actually, when I wrote that, there were a load more chapters. There, there were more chapters than there are in the book right now. Um, uh, because a lot of them were quite speculative and I didn't really know which ones were going to pan out and be interesting. And, and, um, so it was sort of an organic process where I picked up from that initial outline, I picked up a few of the early ideas and I tried developing them. And a lot of the learning and the, um, and the explaining came out of me, me playing with programs. So I would, I would try, you know, try implementing a Turing machine in Ruby and figure out, you know, what worked and what didn't work and what was fun and what was boring about that. Um, and then in tandem with that sort of process of playing around with programs, I was also trying to, um, trying to increase my certainty that what I wanted to say about it was actually correct. So I, I think the the short answer is that everything in that book is stuff that I had learned before that I had been taught or that I'd read about and, and felt like I understood, but it took quite a lot of work to go to go back and to check that, you know, and, and also for some of the, some of the fiddlier stuff. So things like I could not remember. So many, many years ago, I read uh, a new kind of science by Stephen Wolfram, which had a lot of stuff in it about cellular automata and tag systems and cyclic tag systems and all of that stuff. And I remember nodding along to that at the time. And when I wrote the outline for the book, I, I put in the computational universality chapter, I was like, it would be really cool to show cyclic tag system so I, I knew i wanted to do that um but then i remember the day that i sat down to start implementing a cyclic tag system in ruby so that i could start explaining it and writing about it i was like oh i i, I can't even remember how these work i remember that they're interesting but i can't remember how they work so there was definitely a process of like oh i better go dig that book out again and like actually read it properly this time and remind myself how this stuff all fits together so yeah it was definitely like it was definitely half and half like I knew I knew that I wanted to talk about all of those things so I knew them well enough to know that they were interesting to me and that I wanted to talk about them and they were all things that I had taught before um because being a grad student gave me the opportunity to do a load of undergraduate teaching so I definitely taught you know computation theory and type systems and compilers and all of this stuff before so it's it's stuff that I felt confident enough that I could sit down and spend an hour with some undergraduates uh, verbally explaining something, but you're writing stuff down to be printed out on dead trees, you kind of need to be a little bit more rigorous and make sure that that offhand remark that you're making is actually backed up by 
you know, by the reality. So yeah, there was definitely, I definitely had a stack of books on my desk as I was writing this and I did a lot of, you know, back and forth and checking that the stuff I was writing wasn't, uh, wasn't total nonsense. I hope. So just because you mentioned, um, you know, doing that undergraduate teaching and obviously writing this book, do you think it's easier for you um, to either write down all of your concepts in full before you present them to somebody or to have that conversation and to teach somebody something, whether it be uh, at the pub, as you mentioned earlier? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's such a cliche that I'm embarrassed to say it. Um, <laughs> But the only way that I know to understand something properly is to try and explain it to someone else. Like it's the only way for me personally to interrogate my own assumptions and my own um, my own understanding of something. So no, I, I don't think I could ever just um, sit down and write out an explanation of something. It has to be this uh, sort of conversational, organic process of trying to, you know, the first time I, if I learn something. The first time I try to explain it to someone, I get it all wrong and I miss the point. And it's only when I realize that I've missed the point that I have to then go back and reread the explanation and then think about it some more and try and work out what, you know, what essentially the point is. And then it's only through iterating that process and making mistakes and playing around either by you know i i really i i learn and teach in a very kind of hands-on way. So for me it's always about let's just you know if we're talking about programs let's make a program if we're talking about trees let's draw a tree you know it needs to be i need things to be manifest and to be real and for us to be able to point at them and say what they are i get very frustrated with these kind of with with explanations that are so abstract that they assume the conclusion you know it's like a, a, an, a, an abstract explanation is is really no good to anyone apart from the person who's explaining it because they already understand the idea. And I, I try very hard to not fall into that trap of explaining things in a way that are only that is only understandable to people who already know it. So for me, it's always this kind of very, very slow process of trying to gradually walk my way up to something. And it, I think a lot of um, I think a lot about Richard Feynman and the way that he explained things. I think that was that's always been kind of an influence on me is that the way that he, I always think it's, it's incredible to me how he, uh, Richard Feynman, when explaining things like, well, physics, for example, um, he's always able to, to take you on a bit of a journey to start, you know, if he's explaining general relativity or, you know, quantum electrodynamics or whatever it is, he's, he's always able to take you on this little journey of saying, well, let's just think about it. You know, let's start from what we know right now, which is not very much, just our intuition, and then let's think about it. Like, what are the let let's let's take this little thread of well, what would it be like if you were traveling, you know, 0.9 c? You know, if you were traveling almost the speed of light, like, what are the consequences of that? What would that be like? And just working through that step by step and gradually, kind of one rung at a time, climbing up this unfolding one insight after another until you reach the thing that you're trying to get someone to understand and and ideally at the point where they understand it they understand it because it's obvious like you never you never ask people to take a leap of just accepting what you're trying to tell them and that's what I that's what I think so great about what was so great about Feynman uh, was that he he managed to usually to do this thing where he could 
walk you through something in such a way that at each point you felt like you bought into it. And so that's what I was in a, in a much, uh, much less grand and much less uh, accomplished way. That's what I was trying to do with the book is try and like get you to come along with me. And uh, hopefully at every point you are to some extent nodding along and saying, oh yeah, I get it. I see that that thing that we've made works in the way that you say it does. So that's, you know, if at every point the person who's reading it thinks, I'm not even really learning anything here because everything he's saying is obvious to me, then that's the that's the sensation that I want people to have. And that's that's how I want to feel. Like when people explain things to me in the best way, it feels like at the end of it, I sort of think, well, thanks for the explanation, but everything you said felt obvious to me. And it's only afterwards that I realized that, you know, that they've made me learn something by by forcing me through this process, it's kind of, I, it's a bit of a cliche as well, but I always say it's a bit like telling a joke that when you're telling someone a joke, um, you're kind of, uh, you're leading them through this fictional scenario. Uh, and then when you get to the punchline, if you time it right, you, you say the punchline almost at the exact moment that they realize what the punchline is going to be. And it's that, <laughs> that, that combination of realization and surprise that makes them laugh because it's suddenly you have this sensation of, um, shared, a shared human moment, right? You have this sense of, uh, someone else's mind existing outside of your own mind and you sort of think oh like that person thought something and i thought it at the same time and that person is just like me and you know that that produces this kind of uh this wonderful sensation of laughing at a joke or and i think explanations are a bit like that as well where or you know when you're reading a story or whatever it is whenever another human is trying to take you through something as long as they can make sure that you don't trip up and that you're with them every step of the way it can lead to this really fantastic moment of realization or laughter or whatever it is um and so that's i mean that's a very long-winded answer to a simple question but like that's that's the thing that i'm trying to mine out of every idea that i want to explain is i want to try and figure out how to reverse engineer that moment like that moment of someone suddenly realizing like oh like I gave a talk uh, last year about monads and it was the similar kind of thing it was like, I wanted someone to have this moment of like, oh, I get what a monad is. And so it took me a lot of work to kind of to step back from that and figure out like, what is every stage of that, of that journey going to look like so that after 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it was, they have that moment of like, oh, I get it. And it's actually not that difficult, but there's no way that I can design that moment of realization without just iteratively failing to achieve it many many times and each time i fail i take another step on that journey myself and then once i've taken every individual step of like figuring out how to plug together all of those little realizations to make the big one then i can finally package that up and give it to someone and say there you go i figured out how to explain a thing that's a pretty amazing way to i, I would never thought to uh tie explaining something technical to like comedic delivery it's pretty amazing our book's a big joke to you justin <laughs> <laughs> you've written a book about uh like the fundamentals of computation and i see on your website that you're currently writing a book and possibly producing screencasts about building web applications from the ground up yeah as kind of a vehicle um how important is it to understand the fundamental technologies and concepts that we use every day when we're writing code? Well, um, obviously, I think it is quite important. I, it, it's probably not sure, a surprise yeah. to you. Um, 
I so with that that web app uh, book for example um the whole idea behind that is to try and for me it's really about uh trying to empower people like I think it's it frustrates me that people um sometimes or actually very often see technology as being sort of inscrutable and magical and and in some ways that's very good and I think it's very I think it's a very positive thing for example what um what Apple have managed to do with iOS I think a lot of people don't really stop to appreciate just how impressive it is that Apple have managed to ditch a whole load of irrelevant nonsense from the whole idea of using a computer like now it is possible to buy a buy a computer that you can hold in your hand um and you can use it to read your email and and look at web pages and take photos and you just don't have to care about all of that irrelevant computer stuff that we've been expecting people to care about for the last few decades like you don't have to care about the file system or processes or any of that stuff like i think that's an incredible achievement so in in general i'm in favor of that but also i think that the the flip side of that is that um people tend to feel that they are they are not able to control it that they're and this is why people don't like apple products because they are restrictive and because they have already made the decisions about what you can and can't do and those two things go hand in hand if you're going to make something that hides detail from people then you necessarily have to design it in such a way that that they're restricted in what they can do because if you can just if at any point you can just pop open a terminal or whatever and just go nuts with it then you you know you haven't built something that is usable by people who don't understand the thing and and so um i do although although i do appreciate things that are simple and things that hide detail i also think that when you're in the detail business when you're a a, a a computer programmer and your job is to try and make this incredibly complicated machine do the things that you want it to do i think it can be not dangerous exactly but i think it can be it can make your life more difficult if you feel like you're only allowed to do what you've been told you can do like if you're a i mean just to pick an example that's close to, to me if you were a rails developer and you make web applications with rails or with you know django or express or whatever it is that you use um if you only ever do the things that you are told that you can do in the the documentation for that framework and in the 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 book that you bought that tells you how to use that framework then i think you're going to be um you're going to have a lot of frustration you're going to be unfairly constrained by um the expectations of this piece of software that you're using and i don't fundamentally i don't like the idea of people feeling like they can't control what their computers are doing i think i like the idea of people feeling empowered and being able to use computers as as a sort of a creative tool and i think inherent in that is is the is the requirement to understand the possibilities of them and so like with that web app book it's it's just about um here's how you write a web application but instead of saying rails generate you know my amazing blog it's just like okay let's make a ruby file let's open a tcp socket let's read some bytes off of it let's take those bytes apart and figure out 
what's the HTTP request method and what's the path and what what are all the headers and then let's build a response, let's send some SQL to the database and like just taking people through all of those pieces of like here is what is going on. Like the the web application framework that you use is just a program that was written by a person and you're a person as well and you can, you know, you can write this code as well. Like it's it's great that someone else has done it for you and by all means use it, but at the same time if at any point you feel like it's not working the way that you want it to work then you are just as entitled to write a computer program that does stuff as the people who made rails or django or express right and so that's really at the bottom of it is that i want it's it's not for me it's not really about a high-minded academic desire for people to just be educated because i think that that's not an end in itself um it's a means to an end and and the end in some cases is the ability to to you know to have some degree of self-determination to be able to uh make your own decisions about how you want things to work and to not feel constrained by oh you know i really wanted to do this but no one's made a gem that does it so i just can't do it it's just like mm -hmm. you know you can write a program um and i think that some of the stuff in understanding computation doesn't quite have that character because it's more low level and it's more esoteric and some of it verges on the philosophical but in that case i feel like the the end is not being an educated computer scientist it's in like being able to enjoy and appreciate what it is that you do every day and like if you know if if your job is sometimes less than uh less than thrilling it, it it can be nice to have this deeper understanding of what's going on and to be able to appreciate the kind of ineffable magic of of computation i suppose um and so yeah whether whether that deeper understanding is in the service of just a kind of sense of appreciation or if it's in the service of a sense of empowerment um, I think it's really valuable and it's it's fine that there are lots of people who are able to be perfectly productive with computers without understanding that stuff. I'm I'm massively in favor of that, but I'm also in favor of people being able to push beyond that if they feel like they want to and to, to be handed the the tools to be able to think more creatively and more freely and more independently by using computers as a tool. And I think it's sort of necessary to to have that you know your main weapon in that in that war against uh feeling helpless is this understanding of what all the pieces are and how they behave and how they fit together and why they are the way they are because otherwise you're just you're forever um at the mercy of someone else's decisions and someone else's uh, uh you know someone else's way of doing things i guess yeah the a phrase that i've i've come to that kind of gives me it's like nails on a chalkboard to me now is like, oh, that's, you know, insert name of software magic. Like, oh, that's Rails magic. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, like, it's it's just code, right? Like, it might be 500 levels deep in a stack trace, but <laughs> like some piece of code, some concrete piece of code did that concrete thing that you observed. Right. And the person who wrote that wasn't any, you know, wasn't any smarter than you. So yeah. go, go ahead and write your own line of code and, you know, maybe it will be better than that one. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time to, to talk to us. Um, where can people find out more about you or find your the new book you're writing? Oh, well, the book I'm, the the, the Ruby web application thing is uh, uh, rubywebapp.com. Um, 
I haven't finished it yet, but you know, going on a podcast and talking about it like means that I have to make it real. So <laughs> yeah, that's that. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. Um, if you, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm Tom Stewart on Twitter, and I have a site, uh, codon.com, c o d o n dot com, uh, where I try to. I try to put all of my talks and every time I give a conference talk, I try to do an article version of it as well. So there are lots of write-ups of all of the talks I've given. I recently gave a talk about uh, explaining um, relational programming, which is a, a sort of a declarative style of programming in Ruby. Um, so if you're interested in that, then I've just recently published a post about that. Um, but yeah, apart from that, uh, that's that's all that's going on at the moment and i just to finish i just wanted to say firstly thanks for having me but also like this is uh doing a podcast about a book is like is this is way too much power for the author of a book to have to be able to <laughs> to be able to to be able to listen to the brains of people who are reading your book a chapter at a time is i think setting a dangerous precedent so <laughs> Choose your next book carefully. Uh, perhaps choose one uh, with an author who has already died, so that they don't have, you know, so you don't have them stalking you <laughs> on, on your RSS feed and ult alternately punching the air in triumph and like kicking the ground in fury that you either have or haven't understood something correctly. You know, I almost forgot. What what book do you think we should read next after this one? Oh, don't don't ask me that. <laughs> That's uh, I I yeah I'm gonna I, I refuse to take responsibility for your <laughs> although I will continue to listen I'm very interested to see what you choose but I I would hate to uh, I would hate to influence that oh, there are so many there are so many uh, choose something that you all feel you would enjoy oh well thank you very much you can find out more about CS Book Club at csbookclub.com/slash/understanding-computation and thank you all for listening thanks yes, very thanks. much thanks y'all. See you next book. See you later. My pleasure. Bye.